the people of God have been poorly served by many of their religious leaders. That's why confidence in religion is at an all-time low. Many of the actors saw the opportunity by focusing on a particular aspect of the scriptures to monetize it to their great substantial and ongoing gain. Many of these people are by no means schooled in the understanding of the scriptures. So they have an ordinary, what I choose to call a domestic approach to the scriptures. Let me explain. The New Testament in particular, the New Testament is written in, in Greek, in the common language of the, the Greek society, Greek civilization, um, at the time of the Apostle Paul, at the time certainly of, of Christ. So around the Greek of the, of the time of the first century, called Koine Greek or ordinary or common Greek. Now, you must understand that there was an existing language, the Greek language, that was used by the writers of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to present things to the, the Greek world. It was the language that was used. But every time the scriptures used, every time these divinely inspired authors would use uh, particular words in the Greek language, they would, in fact, create a new meaning to that word that did not exist before within either the vernacular of the Greek language or the culture and societal norms uh, of that time. A good example would be the word baptizo. Is an ordinary Greek word. So let's say, for example, a housewife wished to, or, or a person wishing to clean um, a surface, say in the kitchen, an ordinary thing. That person would take a piece of sponge, natural sponge, and dip it into a container of soapy water and would then apply the mixture with the sponge to clean up uh, whatever mess they were working on cleaning up. That action of dipping the sponge into the container of soapy water would be referred to as baptizing the sponge. And you'd use the word baptizo for that. What was not common in the Greek language was the concept of baptizing a person into Christ. Because that's a new concept. Inherently new, intrinsically new. But the old word would be used 
to convey something that it had never been used to convey before. Because it was a new thing. Until, Until Paul wrote the words, baptized into Christ, that usage was not commonplace in the Greek language. But there would be an understanding that like the the person, the actor, who would dip the sponge into the water to to become permeated with the with the solution that in turn would be used to cleanse, the notion of being of one thing being inserted into another existed. But the idea of inserting someone into Christ, thereby filling the person's being with the spirit of Christ, making him or her effective in living a righteous life in the earth, that was a whole new and very different concept. Of course, by now, we use those concepts in a commonplace fashion, and almost the reverse is true. We wouldn't talk about baptizing the sponge today, but we talk about baptizing a person. Now, that said, a domestic understanding of the use of the term relies upon how we have come to view those terms historically and not necessarily on their original and intended usages. One such example is the term faith, and that's what I want to talk about today, the word faith. Many bad actors, poorly educated teachers, poorly educated in the scriptures, have convinced an entire generation of people that the the word faith is related to things you want God to do in your life and the way to trigger the response from God that you desire and that process has come to be defined as faith. Now, needless to say, the opportunity to monetize that has become uh, commonplace. And you probably can name right off the top of your head a half a dozen of the more popular teachers who teach that and they never look under the corner of the rug, so to speak. They never actually look into what the scriptures mean by the word faith. So they will, they will interpret. My, my quarrel, if you like, with such persons is not that the scriptures actually say something. I would never argue what, with anything that the scriptures actually say. That any person, the ability to read, could read. What, what I want you to understand is the spin they give to the thing that we can all agree is what the Bible says. So if you take the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1, here's what it says. Now, faith is the substance 
of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And verse 2 says, this is what the ancients or the fathers were commended for. Now, what is the, so we all know that's what it says. There's no disagreement. It does say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We are all in total agreement. That's what it says. Now, what does it mean? A domestic approach is that that has been seized upon to build literally empires. Now, when you tell people who by culture are orphans, who have no fathers, neither in the natural nor in the spirit, or whose fathers are not functional in the natural or in the spirit, and therefore these people have only themselves to rely upon. And you tell them that if you have faith in God for certain results, the results you want, those results typically are categorized as results relating to money and health. Whether money is um, sought after by a better job, um, the more magical appearance of better financial services and circumstances, and or health. If anybody who is sick wants to get well. So in a sense, it's a calloused exploitation of people in their weakened conditions. But the orphan knows nothing other than finding a way to tease these results out of God. And what these actors have managed to do is to cobble together scripture to elucidate some kind of a message that desperate people cling to, but only manages to enrich the proponents of these ideas and leave the ones who desperately cling to these hopes more desperate than ever before. Because these theologies do not work. Telling God what you want and then acting like you really, really believe that God is going to do what you want for you, does not work. But the fellows would say, well, look, we we fly jet airplanes based upon this message. It works for me. Of course it works for them. Because the funnel that gives a flow of the results they're propagating flows into their accounts, to their bank accounts. And the hapless folk who believe these deceptive things, over time are absolutely no no better for it. 
But the norm is for them to get on television or whatever media they employ and read letters from, from the handful of people, selected letters, who write in to say they sent in a, quote, seed faith amount and a certain return on investment was granted. God is merciful to people. So he will give you things you need, but he'll give you whether or not you believe this gospel, which is indeed no gospel at all, because it's not the truth. It's not based in what the scriptures actually say. That's why it's not the truth. It's a con job. And if you fall for it, it will enrich the ones who have propagated the message and it'll impoverish you. But overall, it does not work because it's not the truth. Let me tell you what the truth is. So let's take the words and let's deconstruct them. Faith. That's the Greek word pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. And it means an unshakable belief in a thing. It's not a religious word. It just means anything you believe in. If you believe in the state, as ancients were taught to do, believe in the good of the state, you'd have faith that the state would ultimately act for your good. Um, the word for citizen and, uh, is the same word for city. It's the word polis. We, we have borrowed that, that term in English in certain cities like Indianapolis or Minneapolis. The apolis, polis, P-O-L-I-S, is the word for city. And people were, in ancient times were identified by their residence in a city. Citizenship wasn't just um, where you lived, it was who you were. So if you have faith, it was nearly necessary to have faith in the institution of city because it was a definition of your own understanding of yourself. So I use that as an example of faith. So pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, is the meaning of the word faith, and it has a meaning. So faith is not defined as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Those are intended consequences to the existence of the notion or the concept of faith. Because pistis means an unshakable belief in a thing. It's where you have a conviction. Now, when this was used in the New Testament, it was used in conjunction with God. So, faith toward God is one of the elementary doctrines spoken of in Hebrews 6. We're, of course, talking about Hebrews 11. So there's a cumulating effect of what was said before, now in reference to what is said subsequently. 
So he had already defined that an elementary doctrine is faith toward God. Now, what then would be defined as this unshakable belief in God? Well, it goes on to say in this very same chapter that there are two principles that underwrite the term pistis. And they are, whoever comes to God must believe that he is, number one. And number two, he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now what is meant by the first element of faith? the unshakable belief. What do you have, in what do you have an unshakable belief when it comes to faith toward God? Number one, you have, you have the belief that God exists. And I'll come back to that. And number two, that he rewards you if you will diligently seek him. Now, what it means by, what is meant by whoever comes to God must believe that he is. Father, Unpacking that means that God exists as he is. In other words, it's not the theory of whether whether or not there is a God. There's a presumption that there is a God who exists as he is. Now for our purposes, all of the scriptures speak of the existence of God in relationship to us as our father. So God exists as our father. Our first article of faith, pistis, the unshakable belief must be, number one, that God exists as our father. That's why you could say, our father who art in heaven. That's why Jesus came to show us the father. That's why when you're born again, your first cry is, Father, Father. It puts you into relationship of sonship. So your first belief is that because God exists as your father, the outcome is that you may be his son. Not in the sense of male or female, because he's not the father of our flesh. He's the father of our spirits. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. The second element then, first being God exists as our father and opens to us the possibility of being his sons. And the second element is he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now here again is where the actors have gotten us off track because their idea of a reward is whatever you determine the reward ought to be. And they're generous in supplying the idea that the reward needs to be that God gives you money and God gives you health. If if that's all God gave us, then when we died, so would our reward. Because we, we typically die because our health fails. And when we die, we can't carry anything with us of a material nature from this earth. So it couldn't possibly be that. 
God doesn't exist as our father primarily to make sure we have a good life. This life is not, quote, about living your best life. Now in terms of the acquisition of money and goods and the maintaining of your health. It has to do with your purpose as a son. God rewards us with his presence in an ever-expanding, ever-increasing way so that when he chooses to appear in the earth, in the darkness of, of human existence, he does so through us. So there's a word that, that goes with that. It's the word oikonomia, comprised of two words, oikos and nomos. We get the English word economy from oikonomia. And it literally means how God fixes the brokenness of a particular age when it descends into darkness, when it descends into debauchery, as our present age. We're living in these dark times that require a response from God that is intimately connected to the element of faith that has to do with God rewarding us with his presence. The word oikonomia, as I said, is broken down into two words, oikos and nomos. The word for oikos, the word oikos means house, house, like a family line, like a family's, a family of generations. And nomos means order, and it speaks to inheritance, the administration of grace. So oikonomia is how God dispenses to the age that has come into darkness, another order of his house to remedy it. Whenever things go off track, whenever things go crazy, God gives another order of his house to bring it back on track. So, faith, pistis, predicated on the two principles, God exists as our father, and God rewards us with an ever-increasing measure of his presence, that's the definition of the word faith, pistis. Now, what does it mean when it says it's the substance of things hoped for? The word for substance is the is two words, hupo, H-U-P-O. I hope you look these things up. Hupo, Stasis, H-U-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. Hupostasis, the compound word, is the word for substance. And it doesn't mean material. What it does mean is, hupo is, means to, to stand, uh, excuse me, hupo means under, under. And stasis is related to the word stand. So it's the posture you take, the way you stand under the truth that God is our Father and He will 
reward us with his presence when we diligently seek him. So what ought we to seek? Him. We are to seek him. And while we are seeking him, we should rest under him, under these two realities. It's, it's tied into a word called tetimi, T-E-T-H-E-M-I, tetimi. And that describes the posture on, in which you stand. And it's actually not a standing, but a lying down, a repose. And it literally means, it's the, it's the, it's the synonym for, and it encapsulates the idea of rest. So you lie down under the truth that God is your father. You come to rest in the truth that he rewards you who diligently seek him. Now when you stand in that condition of rest, or when you lie in that condition of rest, it triggers the presence of God in a fashion that is described by yet another word, which is the word histemi, H-E-S-T-E-M-I. And it's where we get the English word histamine from. Literally, this is what it says. If you lie down in an environment of trusting God, you are extremely vulnerable. Just like when the body lies down in an environment of allergens, it's vulnerable. But it's designed to produce a rising up within the body of fluids to cushion the vital organs and to prevent damage to them in an environment of, of, uh, of adversity. So God rises up in you as the histamine, the histemi. God arises inevitably. It's designed to produce the rising up of God in you. Paul, when he captured this idea, said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in my weakness, I am given to, ex- to understand and to experience the working of his mighty strength. So he said, I'll boast in my weakness. So what then is faith? And what is the substance of things hoped for? It's what God shows you, what God tells you is true. While you wait for God to reveal the truth of these things in your circumstance, you lie down under the truth that he is your father and he'll reward you with his presence. And when, you, when you're in that condition of reliance and vulnerable as you are, inevitably, God arises in your circumstance and it's his presence that changes everything. This is a way of life. The just shall live by faith, not by some hoped for uh, uh, understandings. I'm Sam Solon. I'll unpack this further for you. Thank you and God bless you.